We've got him ready to go. Let, let's do it. Let's jump right into it. If he's right. eager and he's he's primed and ready to go, Joel Klatt joins us for his weekly visit, presented by Audi Flatirons. Joel, of course, the lead college football analyst at Fox Sports and our pal. Good morning, Joel. Good morning. What's going on, fellas? Uh, not a whole lot, man. Just uh, cruising around. Are you going to start breaking out uh, F-bombs in your broadcast so now that that's really like a, <laughs> you can do that? Can, are you just going to throw some out there? Maybe Gus will. Gus, that, uh, that would be yeah, a Gus who knows? thing. Man, I tell you, that was uh, that interview took me in, in a lot of places. First, we were thanking the Lord. Then all of a sudden, there were some f bombs. You know, I if if I would have been on it, I would have nudged Gus and said, "Hey, when we get it back, just a just a dry, short comment like." And we'll see Sharon in church on Sunday morning. <laughs> you know, like that would have been incredible. Yeah. But, uh, oh, that was. That was wild. If you didn't see the interview after the Michigan-Penn State game, you should go check it out. It was pretty good. Well, you were right there in the epicenter of it, right? This this whole Michigan story has just become um, a monster, an absolute monster. Did you ever see it growing to the lengths that it has? Well, uh, you could you could sense right away when when you know three four weeks ago when all of this started to bubble you you could sense that it, it was going to be pretty big. What what I didn't what I didn't know at that point is is how quickly you know the conference would get involved and that people would get involved because the level of of anger from those around the Big Ten outside of Michigan got ramped up to a point where I feel like they forced the hand of the, the commissioner in the conference office. And in a lot of ways, the action that you, you saw taken by them last week, in particular, as late as you did, the suspension coming down at 345, 348 on a Friday afternoon right before the game, I think in large part was due to that almost kind of like mob mentality and the frustration because the commissioner works for the president of the conference. And there's a joint executive committee of presidents. They have to be on board and basically tell the commissioner what to do if the commissioner is going to do something over three or, excuse me, two games. So this was 100% about the frustration and anger of the other Big Ten teams. This this story is certainly not going to go away. We're going to have another hearing on Friday. I've got to cover Michigan again at Maryland. So we're going to be on Harbaugh watch all day on Friday. I thought the entire time until we got, you know, definitive news that he was not going to coach in the game. I thought that he was going to show up like Ric Flair, his good buddy at any point and just WWE this thing and like walk onto the, (laughs) I was prepared for anything. So now when you go do the, the Michigan, do you talk to Jim Harbaugh while you're out there? Do you talk to the, so you will talk to him. Yeah, we had a conversation with him last week. We'll have another conversation with him this week. I mean, pinch me, um, you know, to be in the middle of this story and also get to talk with him. And as you know, Mark, those conversations are, you know, about three-quarter on the record and a quarter off the record. Right. And so fascinating, uh, the conversation that we had a week ago, and I'm sure this week will be no different. Um, we're supposed to talk to him tomorrow um, and get on the Zoom with, with Jim. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. He, he remained adamant that he didn't know everything that was going on with Connor Stallions. And, and he is incredibly frustrated that even with the information from the NCAA investigation, 
uh, that the Big Ten had, which states that the NCAA hasn't hasn't found evidence that Jim knew that they still took this action. So he's certainly digging his heels in. The, the university is certainly digging their heels in. The president, the AD, and everybody. And this is this is like good old fashioned. This is this is good old fashioned like Al Davis against the NFL material. This is the, the heights that it's going. Does this grease the skids for Harbaugh to go to the NFL next year? You know, it's it's interesting because that's I think the sentiment, and and obviously we know that he was deeply involved with conversations with the Denver Broncos last year. There's certainly going to be that opportunity for him because he has been successful everywhere. He is a polarizing figure in our sport for whatever reason, and the the one thing that remains is that he is successful, and he is successful everywhere he goes. It doesn't matter where he's been. They've won at a really high level. So he's going to draw a lot of interest, a ton of interest from the NFL circles. I find it fascinating that the school in particular, in this case Michigan, the president, Santa Ono, the AD Ward Manual, and the, and the high-level regents and boosters – would be this forceful in defense of Jim Harbaugh. To me, I, I just believe that he has made it known to them that he is planning on staying at Michigan, and that's why they've dug their heels in so hard to support him. Either that or they're trying to show him that they will support him regardless. I just feel like if if they had some inkling that he was going to leave or that this was going to be the end, I just don't think that Michigan would have the, the posture and the stance that they have in regards to this entire saga like we've seen them take in particular over the last week and a half. Joel, what what is it about Jim Harbaugh? Because we know he can be a quirky guy um, and he can yeah. be abrasive. And, you know, Jim, that's just who Jim is. But what is it about him, um, in your estimation, that has made him – such a successful football coach. Well, as you know, Mark, like there are so many different types of coaches that can win, right? Wouldn't you agree? Like Mm -hmm. in terms of the, you know, how they handle players, what their philosophies are, you know, just the types of human beings that they are. Um, You've got introverts, you've got extroverts, you've got guys that are motivators. You've got guys that are players, coaches, just leave it to there's a lot of different ways that, that this can be successful in this sport from, from a personality standpoint. But I, I do think when you boil it down to the actual football, what Jim invests in and what he in, emphasizes within his teams are things that are reliable. He relies on the reliable. And not every coach does. You know, there, there's coaches out there that from – a philosophical and a schematic standpoint, they rely on things like passing game and they rely on things that take timing and rhythm and precision. And and I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying that Jim relies more, much more heavily on things like effort, strength, line of scrimmage, being able to run the football, Those things are reliable, and I think it's why he's been successful everywhere he's been. You know, he hasn't had to change his style. They ran the ball, Mark, 32 
straight times in a top 10 matchup on the road. And it's not like they were just like bludgeoning them and scoring 50 points. He was doing it because he's willing to play whatever style, leaning on the, the toughness and the physicality and the run game and the, and the stopping the run, the things that are reliable. I think if I had to boil it all down, I think that's what it would be. Visit with Joel Clapp, presented by Audi Flatirons. Joel, are you worried about Texas A&M going hard after Deion Sanders? And are you worried that he would leave? I'm sure that they would. I'm, 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 they would be crazy not to kick the tires on, on Deion Sanders. There's, there's no doubt. I don't think that he's going to leave. Um, one, his son is, is not going to go to the NFL. At least that's, what's, that, that's what we've been told. And he can't transfer a second time. So, like, w- w- you're telling me Dion would just leave Shadur in Boulder? No. I don't think he's going to leave Travis Hunter, who he views as, as a son. And I genuinely believe that he's very happy. There's also another sentiment or, or, or thought that I would just throw out there and, and pose to everybody. As much as Colorado needed Dion, and I think that that's abundantly clear with the interest that he's um, uh, given them and made them a relevant entity. There's no team in America that has more has had more eyeballs on them from a television standpoint than the Colorado Buffaloes. So yes, Colorado desperately needed Deion Sanders. What doesn't get talked about, I believe, is the fact that Colorado is also a really great fit and, and perfect spot for Dion because he is the type of guy that needs to be the largest personality in the room. If he wants to change something, he wants to do it his way. Dion marches to the beat of his drummer. And in, in college football circles, as, as you guys know, there are places where you've got to come in and you've got to toe the line with their traditions and you've got to toe the line with their boosters. and You've got to do it their way. and You've got to be a, 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 a them type of guy. And, and Colorado's not that way. And, and so in a lot of cases – you know, as, as much as Colorado is desperate for Dion, I think Dion needs a place like Colorado. And I'm not sure if that's the type of fit that he would get at Texas A&M with their cadet rituals and the way that Texas boosters in general down there across, the, you know, whether it's University of Texas or Texas A&M, the way that they operate and, and require things out of their head coach. It's just something, you know, food for thought as, as you all are, are sitting out there. So, one, not leaving the players that he brought there, and, and two, the fit being pretty, uh, pretty perfect in Boulder. I don't think Dion's going anywhere. Um, you know, one of the things you talked about uh, relying on the reliable. Um, that's what I think about. I, I think it's a perfect description of what's going on with Denver right now, especially on the offensive side of the football. Two wins in a row. You know, Russ and uh, the Broncos are three wins in a row, but two wins in a row against Kansas City and against Buffalo. Buffalo on the road. What do you make of the offensive game plan and the way the Broncos are attacking kind of what they have? I, I loved it. I, I really did. Now, are they are they great? No, I don't think that they're they're great, right, Mark? But yeah. I do think that they are they are leaning into what they are. Um, I, I'm a firm believer that in football, you don't succeed because you have no weaknesses. Everybody has weaknesses. I think rather you succeed because you identify your strengths and then you build habits and, and philosophies around them. And the best coaches in this sport look at what their players can do 
and then put them in positions to do that. I'm, I'm reminded about, you know, a Bill Belichick philosophy, and I know Bill's not having a great year this year, but one of the things that he would do, which is why he would always get a player off the scrap heap and get some production out of them, it wasn't about the five things that the player couldn't do. Tell me the sixth thing that he can do really well, and now let's put him in position to do that. And, and I think that's what Sean Payton has done with this Denver team. They have figured it out. And Sean is a, is a hell of a football coach. So to anybody that thought at, at some point, like, well, the game passed him by in that year he was off, or, or he's not going to be able to do, well, listen, th- this guy understands how to be successful. And I think in hindsight, he just needed to learn this team and learn what they were all about. They made some personnel moves. They got rid of some guys, and they figured out their core of players, what that core of players can do well, and then they built game plans around that to go and, and to be successful. Um, I don't think that you can rely on, on good teams like Kansas City and Buffalo playing as poorly as they did, but you've got to be able to beat them when they do, and that's what Denver has been able to do because of the fact that I feel like they've leaned into what the players can do versus – you know, being ardently, I guess, stubborn about what you want your system to look like. Joel, what does this recent stretch of football tell you about what you think this team is capable of the rest of the way? Yeah, it's interesting because I, I think that part of that last answer, and I think you guys would agree with this, like Kansas City played terrible. Buffalo played terrible. Now, Denver had a lot to do with that, and the defense forcing turnovers is, is an, an absolute great thing there's no doubt it is still a struggle offensively and it's it's methodical and it's it's not something that's going to be necessarily explosive they they need help at wide receiver Sutton's drops are just like ugh. It, it they drive me insane you're sitting there and how many times I sat there and I would be like come on and then my sons are like what's going on I'm like well never mind um you can't rely on, on the fact that those teams are going to play that poorly. Having said that, I do believe that if you're going to go and you're going to prepare for and you're going to play Denver, now you've got problems because they have an identity. They have an aggressive defense that you've got to be very leery about. They've been able to produce enough pressure. Uh, they arrive at the ball carrier with, with a physicality and, and a mindset to, to dislodge. And then offensively, they know how they're moving the ball. Now, they're not doing it, like, at the highest clip in the league, but they know how they're moving the ball. And, and, and Russell is such a better player. When you put him into this formula where he can do the things that he does best, and what he does best, quite frankly, is his first touchdown pass. You know, he gets put into a little bit of a bind, and he can get himself loose, and he can make a play. And, and that's when he's at his best. Completely agree with that. You know, <clears throat> one of the things about winning the physical battle and the time of possession battle, um, and we were talking about this yesterday, winning the physical battle, winning the time of possession battle creates pressure, and pressure creates mistakes. So when people say, well, they're not going to continue to turn the ball over at the clip they have, nine turnovers in the last two games, yeah, probably not that high, but they're going to get opportunities. Why? Because right. because when you possess the ball, the, and this is endemic of coaches in general, offensive coaches. You give up on game plans even if you're seven points down and you say, we just got to start taking chances with the football. We got to push the football into coverage. We've got to throw the football. And it creates more opportunities for the defense 
to turn the ball over. So I think that's why is nine turnovers in two games sustainable? Probably not. But will you get opportunities if you're if you're Denver's defense? If you continue to do that on the offensive side, that's that's how I think the game works. Do, do you agree yeah, with that? And I would totally agree with that, and and I would take I would take it a step further. And and this is by the way what Michigan does, you know, as, as I'm covering them. But when when you minimize the number of possessions, total possessions in a game, here's what ends up happening: is that every negative play that you can generate produces an immense amount of pressure, much more on the opposition, uh, their play caller, and and their quarterback. So if you can succeed on a first down, any first down in the course of the series, any first down, and you put them behind the chains, they feel like, oh, crap. You know, like, how many more times are we going to get a chance? We've got to go get points on this drive. We can't just punt and rely on our defense. Like, they're going to take up six minutes off the clock. And so what ends up happening is is you get a more aggressive play call on second down or third down, and more more specifically, a much more aggressive quarterback on those second downs and third downs. So so what you've seen from Denver and what I saw is in particular on Monday night is that when you're limiting possessions, it gives you the opportunity, and Vince Joseph took took advantage of this, to be aggressive on certain first down plays, and when you can get them off schedule, now you've got something. And now you've got an opportunity to put them in, in, in a real pressure situation where they feel like they have to make a play. And as an, any offense will tell you, when you feel like you have to make a play, that's when bad things happen. The more you watch Russ as they're winning these games, do you start to believe that he can be the answer continuing on next year quarterback? Well, if you, if, if you tell me that, that – this blueprint is going to continue to work and that this offensive line is going to continue to, to play at the level that they've played and, and the running backs are going to play at the level, then yeah, he can absolutely be your guy. If you have to rely on a quarterback to be the, the centerpiece of the way that you move the football, I don't know if he can do that. Um, I thought he played great against Buffalo. He was outstanding. He was outstanding. But it, it wasn't the center of what they were trying to do. Did he make plays? Yes. And that's what he can do and, and more power to him. But if he's, if he's the one you're asking to be the centerpiece of how you move the football, I, I still, I have my reservations about if he can do that. By the way, somebody asked, since we're always curious about what's coming out in the next crop of college quarterbacks, JJ McCarthy, you mentioned didn't even throw a pass. In the second half, I think what the last pass he threw was about midway through the second quarter of that game. Probably takes him out of the Heisman running. What kind of pro quarterback do you think he'll make? He's going to be an excellent pro quarterback. Um, He's developed a great deal in the last year and a half. I believe that he's got a chance to be the third or fourth quarterback taken. I think he's got a chance to be taken in the top 15 or, or 16 picks. Um there's a there's a real likelihood that Michael Penix and and JJ McCarthy are are two guys that go to better situations than what Caleb Williams and Drake May will find themselves in. Uh, won't shock me at all if JJ has a lot of success because again the development that I've seen over the course of the last year I've done a lot of his football games and early in his career I saw a guy that was wet behind the ears, trying to make every play in front of him. And because of that, he wouldn't take the easy ones and he wouldn't take what the defense gave him. 
And as he's grown and developed, what he does is, is he utilizes the system and he allows the system to work for him and not against him. So when something is there, he takes it right on time. And, and then he's also got the ability to create and then create big plays for his offense with his legs. What he did run the football on Saturday was tremendous. He did throw one pass. It was a pass interference, and so it wasn't an official pass. But what I also love about J.J. is, is that he is in the Heisman Trophy running, or at least was before Saturday. And yet I saw him as I was walking out of the stadium. And he comes up to me, and and he was as excited as anybody. Granted, you would expect that because they just won. But remember, he's a guy in the Heisman race, and he just ran the ball 32 straight times. And he didn't care. And you talk with everybody around that organization and that program, they will tell you that he does not care. All he wants to do is win. And I think if that mentality can carry him to the National Football League with his skill set, he could be a guy that, I think is is a legit starting NFL quarterback that can take you to the playoffs and potentially win. Mm, great stuff. Hey, uh, Joel, have a great call this weekend, man. We'll be watching uh, you from live from Maryland, huh? Michigan, Maryland. Yeah, Michigan, Maryland. Here we here we go. By the always, way, by the uh, way, Joel, always, always a pleasure. By the way, yeah, yeah. go ahead. Mike. Did I? I maybe I heard things wrong, <laughs> but it, did, did did you kind of imply that that Harbaugh was still kind of. Pulling the strings there during the game the other day? No. No, no, no. I, I said, like, in my mind, I thought that we were going to get a Willis Reed moment or a WWE okay. entrance. Like, he was going to get the injunction yeah. at, like, 1 p.m. and just, like, stomp out of the tunnel, like, with the injunction in his hand. That, that's what I was, By, I, I was, I was expecting that on Saturday. I, I, I kind of thought I heard that when you were talking about how they, you know, just decided to run the ball uh, the entire second half, that that was maybe... Uh, a direct. It was like the man, baseball uh, manager. The, it's like the baseball manager that gets tossed. Like Bobby still, Valentine coming still, in with a mustache and still, sunglasses, or still managing from down in the tunnel. You know how yeah. that works. No, so. but I do think that it is his fingerprints on that coaching staff. You know, because the 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 guy we referenced to begin the entire interview, Sharon Moore, who's the acting head coach. Jim gave Sharon his big chance. He was a tight ends coach, and and you know, and uh, I think it was like Central Michigan or somewhere somewhere in the back. And, and he gave Sharon a chance to become the offensive line coach. He's the only offensive line coach that is also the play caller in the Power Five. So this guy owes, like, an, an, an immense amount to Jim Harbaugh. And I think what you saw on, on Saturday in the second half was that influence on Sharon from basically his mentor, Jim Harbaugh. Mm. Good stuff. All right, Joel. Thank you. We'll talk to you again next week. See you, buddy. Appreciate it, guys. Have a good one. Okay? Joel Klatt, lead college football analyst and our only college football analyst uh, here <laughs> on the right. show. He's presented by Audi Flatter.